If you're enjoying Bradbury 100, please check out my other podcast, Science Fiction 101, in which we explore the past, present and future of science fiction. Find it at 101sf.blogspot.com and head over to YouTube to find my Bradbury 101 series, in which I look at Ray's books and movies. This is Bradbury 100, celebrating the life and work of American writer Ray Bradbury. I'm Phil Nichols of bradburymedia.co.uk. Welcome again to Bradbury 100. At the time of recording, it's September 2021, and the Bradbury centenary is over. If Ray were still with us, he'd be 101 by now. But still, I'm going to continue with Bradbury 100 with some mini-episodes. Today, The Lonely One. This episode is based on a blog post which I wrote way back in 2009. The statistics for my blog at Bradbury Media show that this is far and away the most viewed post on the entire blog. Now, if you've read Dandelion Wine, you'll be familiar with The Lonely One, that shadowy figure who is believed, or feared, to be lurking in the ravine, preying on poor unfortunates who decide to take a shortcut through this unlit part of Greentown, Illinois. You'll find The Lonely One in the chapter about Lavinia Nebs, and it's also frequently reprinted as a self-contained short story called The Whole Town Sleeping. Bradbury wrote the story way back in the 1940s, but it didn't see print until 1950, when it appeared in McCall's magazine. But this wasn't its first outing. That came on the radio. In 1948, it was broadcast on the popular series Suspense, under the title Summer Night. You see, Ray was a big fan of radio drama, and as well as sending his stories out to magazines, he would send them to radio producers. This particular one was bought and adapted by another writer, and Ida Lupino starred as the tortured heroine of that version. In 1947 and 48, Ray actually sold three stories this way, stories which were only later published in print. Here's how Ray describes The Lonely One in Dandelion Wine. And death was the lonely one, unseen, walking and standing behind trees, waiting in the country to come in once or twice a year to this town, to these streets, to these many places where there was little light, to kill one, two, three women in the past three years. That was death. Bradbury always claimed that the lonely one was a fanciful extrapolation of a real criminal who held the town of Waukegan, Illinois, in his grip. In an introduction he wrote to Dandelion Wine, entitled Just This Side of Byzantium, he wrote, Was there a lonely one? There was, and that was his name. And he moved around at night in my hometown when I was six years old, and he frightened everyone, and was never captured. In some interviews, Ray gave more detail, clarifying that the real lonely one wasn't a killer, but something of a cat burglar. 
This is what he told Sam Weller, his biographer. Sam wrote, The identity of the real-life lonely one would never come to light. The cat burglar was never captured. That's what Sam wrote in the Bradbury Chronicles, the authorised biography of Ray Bradbury. Well, I have a lot of respect for Sam, but he was wrong. The real lonely one was identified and he was captured. His name was Orville Wyant and he was captured in 1928 when Ray Bradbury was seven or eight years old, by the way. Wyant spent at least a year behind bars for his crimes. On my website, I even have a photo of him taken from the Chicago Tribune on the 18th of October 1928. The real Lonely One seems to have been an odd character. According to an earlier edition of the Chicago Tribune, August 1928, he would typically break into a gas station or a store, help himself to cash or goods, and then he would leave a note for the police. He seemed desperate for publicity because after months of such break-ins he got irritated at the lack of press coverage of his deeds and he wrote a letter of complaint to a local newspaper. After eight months, the lonely one, Orville Wyant, was captured. He was spotted breaking into Frank Burke's hardware store in Waukegan, where he swapped his gun for a shiny new pistol. The police cornered him. Wyant threatened to shoot himself unless the police promised not to mistreat him. But he couldn't shoot himself because the box of bullets he'd picked up for that shiny new pistol, they were the wrong bullets. He was taken into custody in October 1928, and this was reported in the Chicago Tribune of the 18th of October. After his arrest, the previously unreported aspects of Wyant's crimes finally appeared in the press. Starting in February 1928, he had broken into 33 places of business. Each time he broke in somewhere, he would apparently write not one, but three letters he would leave one for the owner of the premises, expressing his sympathy for their losses. He then sent a second letter to the press, telling them how he did it. And the third letter he sent to the police, telling them that they needed practice in solving crime. All of these letters were signed, The Lonely One. After just over a year in jail, Wyant was considered for parole. At this time... January 1930, the Chicago Tribune reported that Wyant had stolen about $100 worth of goods from his burglaries. That's about $1,600 in today's money. Police Chief Tom Kennedy suggested that Wyant was far from a master criminal, but was not averse to violence. He took potshots at the police on more than one occasion, but just not on the night of his arrest because of those wrong bullets. Wyant was denied parole, and so he continued serving his jail term of one year to life. Now, the fictional Lonely One actually made a return appearance in Bradbury's books. Ray wrote a sequel, At Midnight in the Month of June, and this was first published in 1954 in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. It literally picks up the story from the final paragraph of The Whole Town Sleeping, switching the viewpoint from Lavinia to the lonely one. It's a creepy tale, but Ray chose not to include it in Dandelion Wine. So readers of that book 
never actually find out what happened next. If you want to read it, you should seek out Ray's book, The Toynbee Convector, or look in that giant compendium of stories, Bradbury Stories. It's not entirely clear what happened to the real Lonely One after he had served his jail time. But on the 17th of April 1974, the Waukegan News Sun carried an article by one Arnie Christensen, who claimed to have been at school with Orville Wyant. Christensen contrasted the Wyant he had known with his recollection of the press coverage of The Lonely One. Christensen said the young Wyant was a friendly, outsized, unmotivated sixth grader with a colossal contempt for anything smacking of book learning. Christensen went on to say that the older Wyant's antics catapulted him into the role of a folk hero, The public found humour in the ineptness of the police in failing to foil him. Christensen's article ends with him asking if anyone knows what became of Orville Wyant. Well, I think I found him. You see, Orville Wyant's first name and surname have unusual spellings. Orville is O-R-V-E-L, although some of the newspaper reports misspell it, as in Orville Wright. O-R-V-I-L-L-E. And Wyant is W-E-Y-A-N-T, but some reports spell it W-Y-A-N-T. Now, apart from his name and his crimes, pretty much all we know about Orville is that he was born around 1910, and that before his 1928 arrest, he worked as a stoker for the EJ&E Railroad Roundhouse. But Orville Wyant, with that peculiar spelling, is quite a rare name. Google pulls up very few links. One of them is my 2009 blog post. Uh, Of the others, one points to a reference to the 1920 census, showing Orville Wyant as living in Lake County, Illinois, and with a birth date of circa 1910. Waukegan, is in Lake County. This is undoubtedly our lonely one. The other Google link points to a gravesite record in Honolulu. Orville Wyant, 3rd of December 1909 to 6th of November 1986. I can't swear that this is the grave of the lonely one, but it sounds a pretty good match to me. I often wonder if Orville ever knew that he had been immortalised in Ray Bradbury's Dandelion Wine. If it were me, I'd have it etched on my gravestone. That's it for today. I hope you'll join me next time for another Bradbury 100. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Bradbury 100 is presented and produced by Phil Nichols. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Please subscribe using your podcast app You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and all good podcast places. And please also check out my YouTube series, 
Bradbury 101 and my other audio podcast, Science Fiction 101. For information on all of these, head to bradburymedia.co.uk.